Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict. Friday morning, the sun's out. It's a good day. And hopefully, um, the crisis we've been in for the last few years is starting to go away, which is a good thing for all of those people who love to travel. Like myself, busy planning stuff, I am. Today is uh, Scott Algren, who has had quite a life, fulfilling life, I would say. We're going to primarily discuss his life on the road, basically hitchhike around the world for three years. I got to know about that stuff, something I should have done when I was a kid. And then um, he's got a company now, which is uh, deals with mental health by um, taking um, plant-based um, supplements. So we'll, we'll take a look at that, we'll see how we get on with the travel stuff. So Scott, how are you doing? Good. So glad to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. So Scott is south of me. He's in Sarasota. I'm in uh, Destin. You're Sarasota, right? That's where you are? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So we're both on the beach. That's a good thing. Now, we're going to start off with travel because Travel Addict is all about travel, as you know. And Scott, you what called hitchhiked around the world for three years. I don't know if it was continuous or what. Now, I don't know when this great event happened. What age were you back then when you, when you decided to do this uh, sort of little escapade? How yeah, old were you? From age 23 to 27. And that was actually my one hesitancy in when I saw your podcast and stuff and I thought, God, will I be relevant to young kids, which is really what I want to inspire is others to, to do what, not necessarily in the same mode. It's, it's a different time. You know, we didn't have, God, we didn't have anything back then to, to make a phone call or to write a letter. You remember when you used to have post restant, you know, and you would send, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and then, you know, if you did travel with a camera for an extended period of times, what did you do with all of the roles of undeveloped film? You know, you, do you, do you, you know, get them developed, you know, in Abidjan, you know, Africa or, and then ship them back or do you ship them back? And then years later have them developed, you know, those are all those kinds of problems. So I hope that this story is relevant and people will be able to pick up enough clues, but it was from, on uh, 1979 to 1982, when I was, you know, in my young 20s. Yep. Talk about film and photographs. Um, I don't think the teenagers would understand what on earth we're talking about now because it's all digital. But um, what actually caused you to make this decision? It's quite, a, I would say, a life-changing experience, but something happened in your brain cells. And i got to do this. I've got to hitchhike around the world for, for a long time. What That's- happened? That is a question very few people ask, and it's true. And what was the impetus to do that? Because it doesn't just jump at you. Uh, p- part of it was just, uh, even though, you know, I did find out, came from a middle-class family. I came from a very small town, and I was just very insecure at the time. I didn't even know that that's what I, the disease that I had. But I knew, you know, as I got into high school and I got closer and closer to graduating, uh, uh, you know, the small town I was in from Wisconsin and it was a small farm town population, 2000, you know, twelve, you know, 2,100 people, something like that. There was 110 in my graduating class. Uh, what was the name uh, of the town in Wisconsin, by the way? Yeah. Pewaukee was a small place right between Milwaukee and Madison for those who love. Pulling you know what? This is, this is really weird. Scott got to bring this up. That's where my son lives today in Pewaukee. No. Yeah. He lives in Pewaukee, and he he, he works at uh, for a company in Pewaukee. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's so no. bizarre in it. And I used to live in Brookfield when I lived up there. I since moved down. Brookfield, so. yeah. <laughs> for those for those who you know are quick pulling on it, these are tiny tiny places. I mean, they're growing as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. but they're tiny places. What are the 
odds. I thought you were going to say someplace in Wisconsin, you know, 10 miles away or something. Pewaukee. Oh my God. I'm, you know, I'm going to, after we get off, I'll tell you my address where I lived. I used to walk across the cornfields to the high school. That's how we got to, got to school. I don't know it that well, actually, because he moved there and I, I helped him sure. when I was up there. Yeah. But anyway, that's Pewaukee. But that's amazing. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so what caused you to make this big decision to yeah yeah so uh what i started to see was that there, you know and this again it's hard to imagine before the internet but you had the library yeah and i wasn't a big reader at all and in fact i struggled with you know my studies i graduated in fact i actually got accepted into the university at madison but that because back then the only ideas you had in terms of you know what can you do was either you go on to college or you work at a local factory. That yeah. was it. Those were the divisions. And, and there was nothing in between. And so the idea of me, like, what, working at a factory was so, you know, would give me anxiety. But I hated school. I wasn't, I didn't really understand the whole, uh, so much of what we were being taught. I, I couldn't, I couldn't place it in my mind of what it's, what value was it to study and memorize dead presidents. Like I really, it would really be upsetting to me. Yeah. And I remember, I remember, you know, sitting in at studies and, and doing tests and thinking I might lose my mind. You know, it was that kind of oh, wow. existential horror. So my dad just said, look, I was an engineer and my dad actually, he, he graduated as an engineer, but he quickly flipped into working for companies that had engineering things, but he was good at sales. So they would send them out on the road. Yeah. And uh, this was back before a lot of flights. So he would drive his, you know, 67 Mustang, which we didn't know at the time was such a cool car, but later on, we're going, yeah. God, it's worth like a hundred thousand. So he and then he would come back from these exotic locations all around the states, and we would wait up at night and just hound him with questions. And I was just intrigued about you know land beyond. So that was kind of in my That's DNA. It, yeah. That's the start. And then what happened was I, uh, you know, here I am. I don't read because I don't get books. I don't really understand the whole nature of what novels and made up stories. But all of a sudden, I bumped into a travel book. And it was a travel book actually by, uh, I guess you'd call him a like a wandering, uh, you know, bohemian kind of a guy. He had a ponytail and you could tell it was kind of like self-published or something. Yeah. And it was this Polish guy and he was so cool. I mm -hmm. just remember thinking, I want to be like him. So that was really the start. And he traveled low on the ground like you've done, yeah. Malcolm, and like I've done. And so that was really intriguing. I thought, man, and that got me really excited. So a friend and I, after we, after I graduated from high school, we decided we wanted to go out to the Rocky mountains. Now, back then, you know, it was a big deal. How do you yeah. get out to the Rocky mountains yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. thousands of miles away? Well, we were going to hitchhike and we wanted to become brave. Both of us, we wanted to learn. And so we did, we saved up our money. We worked at restaurants during that last year, yep. uh, saved it all up. And back then the first company that was all about like, you know, you know, was REI and you did yeah. the REI catalog. And I, I mean, yeah. you save up it. your pennies and I got all that gear and we went out on a seven week hitchhiking trip around the world. And I was bitten, you know, there's just nothing. I just thought this is what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where, but I want to keep going, but yeah. I had college. So I went to college. My dad was this engineer. I thought, oh, I'm going to be an engineer. I didn't even know what an engineer was, but I saw that he was traveling. So I yeah. thought, okay. And it was so wrong for me. And that was talk about the existential thing. <laughs> I, I was at the end of that first semester. I had no idea what year I was. Oh, the classes, the you know, just insane. And I'm sitting there in the 13th floor of this dorm. And I looked out the window and I still remember opening that window and looking at the floor and having a clear thought that said, man, I wouldn't have any of these feelings if I just jumped. And that's when I knew I got to get out of here. I may have to go and work at factories, but I got to get out of here. So yeah. I wrote my dad, you know, a letter and said, dad, I'm, you know, I'm the worst son you'll ever have, but I got it. And he was, he was awesome. He just said, okay, yeah. here, here was the cool thing. And this is important. 
during that college year, I met people and said, what were you, what are you going to do in the summer? And I met some like hip people and said, Oh, we're going to go work at this, uh, resort up North. I said, mm-hmm. what without a degree? And it's not a factory. How do you do that? Oh, you write the owners and then, you know, tell them that you're a cool guy and you want to work hard. And I did, and I got this job and that was it. That was the turning point. I hitchhiked after I dropped out of college and I hitchhiked up there to go to this island where there was this resort. It was up in uh, Michigan. And I landed there and I started working immediately, working at the resort. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the world opened up because I was meeting people that were in the giant space between yeah. being a doctor and working for some stupid factory, you know. Yeah, there were all these people, and they were movers, and they would go different places. And you met people say, "Oh, well, this summer I went there, and then last summer I was going." And I was like this, Mister. I would be obnoxious. I would just go. So, what did you do there? How did you do that? How did you get? What's a passport? Where do you get the passport? How do you do that? I was just obnoxious character because I was so curious about them and their life and how they did it. So that was really that's a starting point. That was a starting point. So you didn't go and work for Briggs and Stratton in downtown Milwaukee. So oh my uh, God, <laughs> you know these names because oh. you're about factors. Uh, oh dear, dear. That was it. That was one of the options. Yeah, I know. Wisconsin was your starting point, and you took off. Um, then you probably landed up back in Wisconsin, but you did some domestic stuff first, That's and right. because you hitched hike, yeah, and then you went overseas. I'm thinking. So, right. Yeah. So what it was is that then after that, you, you kind of go, well, okay, that's that. What do I do next? And someone yeah. said, oh, you should go. You know, I, I worked at a ski area in Colorado and I was like, Colorado at the time was, you know, John Denver had just come out. Now, yeah. it may not have been hip music, but that song Rocky Mountain High hit me right in the chords. You yeah. know, they were. And I, I was in love with the mountains. I said, how do you do that? You know, and they gave me a contact. And sure enough, I hitchhiked out there with a duffel bag and two pairs of skis and yeah. boots. And uh, I barely had, you know, you you know, you're so broke. But you and then I would I would hitchhike up to the top of the mountain every day and apply for a job. And really. And that's where I learned too this really cool trick. Um, and I didn't know I had it, but I saw someone else do it. And then I heard it from someone else. And basically I was in front of the guy who was hiring and he, you know, he was like shaking his shoulders, man, we got yep. everybody. And I, and remember I'm a, I'm still a shy guy. And I stood up in front of him and said, I will work for you for free. That's how good I am. And I was like this, I just suddenly said, I don't care what I have to do. I will, you know, dig ditches. I want to work here. And I remember him going back on his heels and looking at me thinking, you know, he's either crazy or he's interesting. And sure enough, the next day they, you know, no one had phones back then, but they called the office of the, of the little, you know, pension Mm -hmm. that I was staying in saying, Jeff wants to talk to you. So I'm hitchhiking back up there. And he says, man, we really don't have any openings, but you obviously could be, you know, so show up here. We'll find a place for you. And that's, Another huge lesson I learned was that when the door closes, you really got to stop and go, is this really a door? Is this, are they really seeing me or are they just, you know, they're overwhelmed, underpaid, you know, all of that. So I got that job, man. And that was a huge opening to so many people. I would meet people in line, you know, you're checking their tickets. And one of the people I met was uh, with Mm -hmm. all these farmers. And I said, you know, I read an article one time, maybe talking to him as you're yeah. walking through, you know, say, I, I read this thing about the, about the, you know, uh, running the combines and the whole wheat thing. Yeah. I said, yeah, that's what we do. I said, man, how do I get a job on there? And I, he said, well, give me your number. And so I'm like writing my address down. And sure enough, six weeks later, I get a, a letter from the guy saying, call this guy. Yeah. He you know, well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, when you, when you seem enthusiastic, it's a lot better them having the academic qualifications behind you, you know, someone who's enthusiastic, they say, I really want to work here and let me tell you why it sinks in there. So uh, that's probably uh, uh, was influential in you getting that position. You think it, it was, and it was, it was also an eye opener because I was still under illusion that said in order to do almost everything, you got to have a degree. Now, nowadays, you know, 
everyone knows that. Obviously, you can't be a doctor, you can't be a nurse, you can't be a psychologist, those, but man, I mean, you and I own business, you know, we own businesses now that hire PhDs. We hire things. So, and I don't have that degree. So that I was learning that and yeah. learning that confidence and and a willingness to work really, there really you go. hard. Yep. That was going to be the key. And and in kind of a, and, and I the other thing too was I if I don't know it, I'm going to learn it. And if I screw up, I'm going to admit it and I'm going to do better. And those are the qualities that everyone is looking for. Yeah. Is that enthusiasm for life. Exactly. So you've got a taste for this because you hitchhiked out to Colorado. So you got yeah. a taste for travel. And that was the beginning of it because the, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. Now, you must have decided at one time to get out of the country. I, I'm, I'm guessing you did and uh, go somewhere totally different. Yeah. Why the hell out of your parents, uh, probably. But yeah. Well, but it's interesting. People all used to ask you, what do your parents think? And I, my gut response was always thinking, what do my parents got to do with it? Not that I, I loved my parents, yeah. but they somehow raised all of us five kids. I was the second oldest of yeah. five. We were about 10 years. There were five kids in, in there. Sure. And, uh, uh, you know, the, it never was a consideration. What will mom think? What will dad think? I, because by then I, I really was a free spirit. But where, where it really turned for me, and this is one of the keys I learned. I didn't know the name of it at the time, but modeling. Modeling is is kind of how we humans do almost everything is we see somebody acting a certain way, speaking a certain way, having done a certain thing, those kinds of things. And you go, if that guy can do it, if that girl can do it, if that woman can do it, I think I can do it too. So yep. it's modeling. And what happened was it was a year later, I was at another ski resort. This time it was a tiny little ski area that actually had night skiing back then called Lake Eldora ski area. And I loved night skiing. I loved working at night. So I easily got the job and yeah. I, now I had all this skill from the other place. So I would work at the ski shop at night. And about a month after I started this older guy, 33, no, he was 30 and I was 20 at the time because yep. I was, I was sneaking into bars at 20 and a half, but because I was tall, yep. but I didn't have my license. That's why I remember that. And I just kind of go, Hey, how's it going? You know, and I, I was able to get into bars and, you know, have a gin and tonic, whatever. So I met this guy and he, he just immediately had this wizened look to him. He just looked smart. And I immediately took to him. I, he's just interesting. And within a very short period of time, I learned he had just come back from a three-year hitchhiking trip around the world. And I was like, this is like meeting the president. This yeah, is really. like, uh, you know, who, who else do you want to meet in life? No one except that guy. And he was physically strong. He was physically just had a presence about him. And I knew that that had come from those travels. And he did traveling the way I had read about it and wanted to do it, which was low to the ground. And every time he got to a place where they said, you can't go there, you can't go to Madagascar, he would find a way. He would look along the beach and then get the boat and, they, and then sneak into the boat and then talk. And then he learned some French and I was mesmerized. Yeah. And so every night, we would fit people to go out. All the city people would come up from Denver and Boulder and the round areas. We'd fit them up with skis and they'd all go out. And we'd have about three hours in this ski shop at nighttime. Well, everyone's out night skiing. Yeah. And I, again, would just grill him with questions. I was, I was like an interviewer. Yeah. And oh, I, course. oh my God. I mean, I was like taking notes and that was it. I went, I'm doing this. I'm going to follow this guy's lead. So <laughs> the next year uh, at the end of that season, he and I, I had a van at the time and we went up to Wyoming. Neither one of us has been up to Wyoming and we wanted to go see, you know, and we stopped into this small little town because we had heard one of our guys that we worked this gear with was building houses up there. And we went there and his boss was there as we pulled over and we're talking to Bernie and the boss goes, man, this is, this is 19, uh, 77. Yeah. This, is, this is a boom town. I need help. Do you guys, yeah. do you guys want to work? And so anyways, I learned carpentry and it's, I went up there and learned carpentry within six months. I was running my own crew. Yeah. And then uh, six months later, I bought an old 
old house with the help of my dad. And that was my plan. I thought, I'm going to fix this up. They didn't have the term flip it at the yeah. time, but I thought yeah. I'm going to fix this up and sell it. And that's going to be my nest egg. And I'm going to take off traveling for three years around the world. Okay. So they, <laughs> you, you yeah. had a place to, to come home to and a, a project to, to manage there. What was your next um, location after that? Did you, because you got the bug by this time, obviously you wanted Ooh. to get out and do stuff because you had a few people you met along the way that said, Thought, I got to do this. I got to copy that guy. Where it, it, was you- still, it was still, it was still in the States. You know, Wyoming is just in the Northern part of the States. Yeah. And so I was there and then uh, I was able to sell that house a year and a half later for 15 and a half thousand dollars, which I recently looked up. It's the equivalent of $56,000 in today's money. Yeah. I could, I could have been a millionaire. It was more money than I'd ever yeah. seen at one time. And okay. that was enough. So I put it in the bank. The, uh, the bank there. I sold everything, sold my car, sold clothes, got rid of everything. And all I had was that money in that bank account. I, I was careful about buying all the material sure. and I backpack. I figured out how much I'm going to need. I got, I had had the passport and I, the bank account, I went back to my, where I was raised in Wisconsin to open up that bank, just in case my mom would need to go there. And I yeah. went down to that bank. I said, here's my money and here's what I'm doing. And so back then, you know, you have to like call the bank or the banks had to talk to the banks. Anyways, I said, this is who I am. I'm going to be gone for three months and I'm going to occasionally need money from all sorts of different places. This is who I am, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So I set that up and then I uh, hitchhiked to New York and took a Freddie Laker flight for $99 to, to London had never been on a plane before. And, uh, that was it. And I started that trip. I was so green. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know anything about visas or anything. I just had the passport and I had that money. And I learned as I went along the way. And oh man, you know, I quickly learned I did not want to be in Europe. Did not, I didn't give a crap about history or what? Bridges? Give me a fucking break. No. You know, I, I wanted to get out there into the people. So I um, you know, I found my, and I, everywhere I went, I'd meet people and say, where, where are you at? How did you do that? Where, where did you go? And how did you do that? Where, oh, do you have a name? And, you know, of course, back then, as you know, everyone had their address book. Cause you're like, yeah. oh, cool. And you know, yeah, yeah. Come crash at my place. And I was like, and I ended up on a kibbutz in Israel. Didn't even know what it is. I didn't even know what Jews were, what Israel was, what a kibbutz was. I mean, green. Green, 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 green. That Did would have been a cool anything? thing to do. I thought about that. I, I went to Tel Aviv um, in 1980. And that was it. That was when I, I was there. Awesome. Yeah. And wow. I, I left there. I went to a kibbutz, and I thought that would have been a, a cool thing to do when I was a bit younger, just hang out in a kibbutz there. And it was a, during the troubled time, there were tanks going down, up and down the, not tanks, but jeeps with machine guns on the back going up and down the beach there in, in Tel Aviv. So, uh, do you remember that? Do you remember the kibbutz name that, that you were? No, I don't. I saw a couple, but I was there for about three weeks. And obviously, I went to the, the sites to see there. I even landed up a DJ in a, a nightclub in Tel Aviv one night. So, <laughs> I was a DJ back in the old country there for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know how that happened. But, um, yeah, so based on what you're saying is you talk to people and they sort of um, put this bug in your head. It's like, I wouldn't mind yeah. going there. It's a great experience. Yes, it's that's educational, it. of course. That's that's a part of it. You you speak to so many people while you're away. You learn how they live, learn the things they do, and th- I've got to go there myself, right? It's it. That's it. Yeah, so you, you've got to – so you went to Israel. You're in the old country, Laker, Laker Airways. I remember Laker Airways when when that came about. That's that's a long time ago, uh, Scott. But yeah, yeah. But um, okay, so you went to Israel. What, what's up next? Well, you have to remember too. Every day is a whole new adventure because you're moving to a different place. You're meeting new people, and one of the things that I remember I did. It's kind of hard to remember back then, but I mean that that this was important. But mm-hmm. every day I'd wake up, and this is what I, I one of the things I'd say was, today I want to learn how to be brave. Today, I want to learn how to be confident. What is that like? Mm -hmm. How do I do that? How can I go up when I see a group of young people over there that, you know, I'm a single guy and they've got some beautiful women. How do you, how do you, how do you be a person where they'd go, come on, have a drink with us or go, we're going to go here. We're going to go there. So I was constantly trying to learn this and I'm by myself too. So 
and and I was doing this by myself because I I needed to challenge myself. I knew I was something bigger in me, and I needed to know how to do that. And I didn't want the comfort or the you know the split decision making process of whoa, you want to go here, you want to go there. No, I needed to just be really totally free to be and discover. So it was on that kibbutz, and I mean I I I had an extraordinary uh, you know love affair there and we after we after the kibbutz and we traveled all around uh israel we went into europe and met her friends she lived in the kibbutz for her whole life so she had all these friends you know extraordinary extraordinary stories like that and every day it required what else can we do who else can we meet where else can we go so all of that's happening, you know, and at some point, you know, after four months, I mean, hell, I speaking of little jobs, I was a photographer on the beach of Saint-Jean-de-Mont because I met a guy in Turkey who was a photographer who now works for Hollywood. He's a famous guy mm-hmm. named Claude, Claude Boudin. You will see him on across all interviewing mm-hmm. all the Hollywood stars. We were hitchhikers in Turkey and he met, and he was a still photographer at the time, extraordinary guy. And we met and we traveled for a week together. And he said, Hey, if you know, if you're ever on the beach uh, in the France, uh, I'm going to be here and you can, uh, you know, th- you can come live with me if you want. And I did uh, later on, I went there and, you know, I tried to do his job, but my French was horrible. So I, you know, I'd scare the kids away, but you know, the, those are some experiences that you have. And so, so that was the first, you know, I don't know, eight months of that trip. And then eventually I, one of the goals, I wanted to get down into Africa because my yeah. friend from, you know, 10 years before it said, you got to get into Africa. You got to get to Africa. So that's what I did. And I crossed over and I, boy, boy, was that, I was thrown into all sorts of interesting situations, but I ended up, you know, again, hitchhiking as much as you can. You're right. You do have to take little flights periodically because you're just little flights on the way. Yeah. But you get absolutely stuck, you know, sometimes because you go to the border and say, where's your, where's your visa? Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Things are changing all the time, but you were flying by the seat of your pants basically. And and that's what it's all about. So someplace you need visas sometimes you didn't, but you were hitchhiking when I'm in, in, in Israel and that area, but you went down to Africa. Is that North Africa or South Africa? Or the started region? in started in North Africa. Did not like it all. Of is it Tanzania? I can't remember Tanzania. Yeah, right across. Tanzania is south, right? So you you Tanzania is way south. Oh, uh, uh, right across the uh, yeah. You know, so Morocco, Gibraltar. Libya, Morocco, the Morocco. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so I went. That's it. After yeah. a few days, I went. This is not what I want at all. Yeah. and I caught a flight. Yeah, to uh, Senegal, Dakar. Oh yeah, and, sure. And I hung out in Dakar for a month, and then hitchhiked, and also took the train from halfway across Senegal because I realized, you know, you yeah. could spend a week sitting out there and you know, yeah. a week, a week in tiny little villages. And I had a, I had a, a, a um, what do they call it, a, a frisbee at the time. And every village I would get to, the kids would go nuts. I mean, I'm not t- kidding. A hundred children would pour out of the schools yeah. as they saw this tall yank coming through this tiny little village. And the teachers would come out and they'd all come and would want to yeah. speak to me and stuff. And I would pull out that frisbee and I would play with all these kids They'd be tackling each other. And, oh my God. That's a, that's the cool thing about it. You know, when you travel to these places, you mix with the locals there. You learn a bit oh. about the culture, the way they live, what they do for work. Oh. And uh, that in most most areas of the world, I found everyone is welcoming. Um, oh, incredible. It was Come back then. Eat. I don't know what it is today. It's probably the same, generally speaking. You know, the world out there is still welcoming to foreigners like ourselves. But that's I a fa- fabulous so. thing you do. I've, I've found myself in a weird place, and I just had a game of soccer out with with the locals. And uh, <laughs> I'm a Brit, so I, it, I can do that. But, uh, but you actually hitched hike a little bit through Africa, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I got about halfway through Senegal and then realized I'm not going to get anywhere. So I took that train. There's a famous train at the time to Bamako. Bamako is in Mali. Mali, yeah. for those of you, is where Timbuktu is. And I yeah. thought about going up to Timbuktu, but I realized the only reason I want to go there so they can tell people I went to Timbuktu. Said so I went to the capital, which is Bamako, or yeah. I think it's the capital. And then once there, 
it's really dry and the the very interesting people you know beautiful souls i got invited into eat you know dinners and lunches and people come come eat come eat come eat yeah. you know and and they would want to ask me about america and that was one of the places too where i learned how easy it is to build uh, constructs in your mind about countries because they had this you know it's real easy back then of course you know if you were from russia the american response was oh communists you know you'd have this response to the entire you know place of russia give me a break yeah we are so i'll tell you this is really to me why i got on your show malcolm is because we are idiots we are idiots until you travel you are full of prejudice until you travel and when you start to travel you the prejudice and the constructs that you have about other people, other nations, other religions start falling away like a deck of cards because you realize they're based on nothing. They're based on stupidity. And it's only when you travel that, you know, you realize it's an an educational experience for sure. And it makes you appreciate other cultures in the world. And, you know, a lot of people back where we live may think, well, why would you even want to go there? And oh, it's a third world country, whatever uh-huh. uh, you know. Uh, but why would you ever want to go there? They may say people are just dirt poor. You know what? They live the way they live because they want to live like that. In many cases, right? So you yeah. can go to the most obscure place on the planet, and they're monetary poor, but they're they're happy. They're happy living like that. Extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And you get to realize that uh, when you go to these places, and you probably encountered that oh. in the depths of Africa. And the, sh- and, the, the and their their desire to share with you their life and their meals. Come, come eat. Come eat. Exactly. Come eat. My my I want you to meet my wife. Oh my God, I heard that over and over. Kids, come meet my father. Come exactly. meet my father. Yeah. It's a it's a great thing to do. I'm I'm glad you did that. You know, think about hitchhiking. You don't just so, do it so much, but whether hitchhiking can be done safely today, um, back here in the states or in Africa or Europe, I just don't know. I never did hitchhiking, to be honest with you. Um, so I maybe did it once, and the vehicle that picked me up was a police car. I said, "I'll give you a lift where you're going." Uh, so that was it. But I've never really done um, hitchhiking to the extent that that you've done it. You know, and I heard someone say the other day, and I, I, I read about this, um, there's a driver picked someone up who was hitching a lift. The hitchhiker got into the car and said to the driver, don't you worry about picking people up like me uh, because they could be serial killers. And the driver said, no, I don't. It's going to be uh, hard-pressed to think there's going to be two serial killers in the car at the same time. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I yeah, God, I don't know how to answer that question because I'm not young and I'm not doing it anymore. Here's what I do hope, though. I do hope that hitchhiking becomes popular again, and I hope that they, you know, everyone figures out a way to do it safely. And when you're traveling, if you're hitchhiking with two people, yeah, it's a whole different thing because you know you just you just a whole different dynamic. And yeah. I don't know, it doesn't matter. But here's the point: it doesn't matter. This is not a story about how to hitchhike around the world. This is a story about how to get out there and why it's so important and and how to break through your limiting ideas of what you think you can do, what you who you think you can meet, where you think you can go, because it's probably all stunted and not true. You, yeah. you want to get out there close to the ground and meet people, just break bread with anyone, anyone every day. Yeah. And do it while you're young, because boy, when you get older. Whew, it's a little well, well wait a minute scott we're not you know we may be classed as old geezers but we're not that old we still want to do it now i mean I'm, we still I'm, yeah i'm funny you mentioned africa there myself and the wife have booked a trip to go to um actually in august to go to namibia we're going to camp out in the uh, namibian oh, desert oh not wow. not in a tent but a lodge you know and yeah. that, that type of thing it's the old, world's oldest desert but it's just it's like the scenery there it's unbelievable yeah, so we're just doing it while we can, and I, I think you'll be you 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 say the same thing here because there'll be one day when we won't be able to do it so, uh, uh, as much, yeah. and then 
Yeah, and I, I would say that you know that the low to the ground thing is is what, like you say, you know, I I don't want to camp anymore. It's just those days are over. I did it. I slept in ditches. I I I loved it. I would camp out. I was I hitchhiked across the Nullabar Desert. Someone go and measure the Nullabar Desert. It's huge. No one does it. And yeah. I would, you know, pull over to the, I would just, you know, lights would go down. No cars were coming. I would just go and camp right next to one, all the lizards and stuff. And I loved it. I saw shooting stars, you know, that very few people. Oh, at night. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's more of that. It's like, you know, young people have the, t- have the, whatever it is, you know, that they can do that. And especially this is the other thing I want to encourage people. They go, well, I don't have any money. How much money do you really need? Or yes, get, get get some cash together, figure it out, and then learn how to live really, 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 really cheaply because it can be done. Oh, yeah, it's, it's doable. I mean, what do you want to do, especially young? I mean, here in Destin, we talked about this earlier on, it, Destin is quite popular as a, um, a, a beachside town to come and visit, and it gets packed in the summer. And it's yeah. fairly expensive to come here, to be honest with you. Um, but you could go overseas somewhere and not, I wouldn't say, camp out somewhere, but go to a, a foreign land and uh, have a vacation that's cheaper. <laughs> Much you know, cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Much cheaper. Yeah. Well, my, my question is to do what I can uh, see in uh, foreign lands, and maybe that age will come, well, oh, I don't want to fly anymore. I don't know when that'll be, and uh, we can just go and visit places in the United States we haven't seen yet, on Canada for that matter. So that's our thought. But until then, we're still on a quest to do as much as we can while we can, you know. Is your wife similar age as you? We're, we're, we said before we started recording, we're both 66. Yeah. No, my wife's a lot older than me. Uh, she's older than me by 13 days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always mention that to her. She just hits me over the head. But uh, no, she, she's the same age as me, basically. And she's more of a creature of comfort. In the last few years, she's she's been great at this because I've said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of going to this place. And she said, she'll say, just go. I'm not going yeah. there. Like yeah, camping out in the wilderness of Mongolia. She's not going to do that. Yeah. So, but I do that and I've got videos and I've got great pictures, but the experience is somewhat is, uh, fantastic, you know. So she'll, she'll do a little bit of adventure travel, but not so much, you know. We'll see yeah. how it goes. I mean, so yeah. uh, as I said, we're off uh, to Africa later on this year, but we just don't know. But are you continuing to um, do more travel now? And you're still doing it, getting out on the road a fair bit? Uh, not as much, you know, but but I used to tell people, I said, I did more in those three years than most people do an entire lifetime. Oh, I mean, and by, by sound, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, and we, haven't, did it. we haven't gotten to the 92 days on a 41-foot sloop with a, you know, Force 9 storm off of the coast of Africa that sent us down to the roaring 40s, you know, that kind of stuff. So that really, that that portion of that trip satisfied a very deep longing in me to be so to be like the explorers of the world and to be so far out there that you really thought this could be it i think we're gonna die right now and i I wouldn't say that's what i wanted but having experienced that when i got back onto shore everything changed yeah yeah indeed Um, i know you sent some uh, sent me some pictures and that's is that the time you got rescued is, is it yeah, we actually ran out of food in that strait of uh, Madagascar. That yeah. that's based between. I think it's. I don't know how wide it is, but it's between. Yeah, that's Eastern right. Eastern Australia far, but... and and uh, Madagascar, and it. Uh, yeah, we just got what they call say becalmed, and we we were going backwards, and we were just running out of food, and so yeah, we we got rescued by a giant giant freighter. Um, oh, wow. You know, one of those kinds of like two, two football fields long. And we had to actually put out a May Day, which was it, when you do it, you're it's, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. Well, that's have, all right. I mean, you survive, you live to tell. Oh yeah. Ed, but it was still has closed shaves, don't they? It could happen where I am or where you are. You could have a closed shave one day, Yeah, you know, yeah. flirt with death, but it, it could happen anywhere on the planet, you know? So, uh, and you just happen to be doing that, and yeah, we've all had experiences like that. But still, it's to, 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 a, to ask a to ask a giant ship to turn around. It 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 took them hours to do it, and I, you know, we did it at three o'clock in the morning. We saw their light way off. Yeah, 
And then, you know, said, you know, we, we, we're in a Mayday situation. Uh, you know, we're, we're out of food. We have enough water. We're okay, but we're, we're out of food. And, um, and I remember they said, well, do you want us to wake? Do you want us to awake the, uh, you know, the captain? Yeah. And there was this pause where we all looked at each other like, God, I, you know, what if the wind picks up tomorrow? It would only be four days yeah. to get to shore. But we, we'd been there for 17 days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Out. So we just, you know, anyways, he turned around and he came oh, back. That, and that's fantastic, and, and that, 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 that got to the news when we got back to Durban, South Africa. So we were interviewed on the, you know, on the tight TV there. On TV and on the uh, by all the papers. Yeah, yeah. Well, live to tell. What about so you went to Africa and Europe? Did you ever get over to Asia anywhere in your travels? Um, not that trip, because after Africa and after that trip, I I realized you know I, I thought I was going to go up into India and do all that stuff, but I was kind of getting tired. I was out. I'd been out for two years and four oh, months wow oh so i thought you know what i want to get to Af- uh to australia so i flew from uh durban to perth and then i spent the last six months hitchhiking across uh australia and then working i started to run out of money so i ended up working that was the other thing too because you know, okay. they tell you they tell you you can't work in other countries well you kind of can't you know you, you just got to do yeah. kind of under the table you lots of people work just yeah that's know. right you go to a place and you well, I'm, I'm here if you need me and uh, a lot of people yeah. say yeah yeah there's jobs yeah, to yeah. be had for people who want to do it yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I did well. I was a carpenter and I was making at the time about the equivalent of what I was making back here, about 10 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. And I helped build one of the uh, first high rises there in mm-hmm. Noosa Heads. And all, I'm sure all the Noosa Heads people here are on this are going, uh, you bastard, you know, you screwed up our beach, but that's what I did. I would sleep on the beach. I had my tool belt right next to me along with my roll. And then uh, wait a morning, minute, you're, you're working, but you slept on the beach. Yeah. Oh, you didn't have a place to go. They were paying you, obviously. They are, but and and but the first the first month, I wanted to store up my money, so I would just sleep on the beach because it was on the beach, and yeah. there there was a hose there, so I would shower off at that hose, yeah. and I, and um, I could put my kit really close to the building where we were working. Yeah, and uh, you know, and it was cool too because I remember going up to and said, you know, I'm a really good carpenter. I'm from the states, yeah. and back then that had some, and they go, all right, well, all right. And, and I remember saying, I said. You know, um, I, I've got my tools here. What What do you want me to bring tomorrow? And I actually had them. I was writing it all down. And then so when I said, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. And I went to the hardware store and picked up all the new tools. I had a hammer and all. <laughs> so you finished work. said, I'm just going home now. I'm just yeah, I, going I, home. I live over there on the beach. You know, that sand dune <laughs> to the right. That's I know. I know. And, and I did have a, a, oh, no, I did. I had a watch that had a little, I had one of the first electronic watches. So it would go beep, 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 beep at seven o'clock in the morning. I'd, I'd run, do a little couple of body surfs, get back, wash the salt off, change into my, you know, the, the gear, put on my belt. Walk out of the job site. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, uh, that, that's that's out there. I tell you, uh, what about? But in Africa, um, did you have a place to stay? Oh yeah, in, yeah. In, I, like inside so- a building that's made of wood or at least concrete. Because yeah, I know yeah. you Af- want to sleep in the jungle there on the on the the ground. Yeah, I was actually in Africa for a total of one year, and the uh, you know seven months of it was down in South Africa. And I'd met this young couple in Malawi at Lake Malawi, monkey Bay. Still remember that this beautiful young couple, they were college students and we just really hit it off this boyfriend, girlfriend. And of course, like you do, they said, man, if you're going down to South Africa, I said, I am. That's where I'm trying to get down to. That's what, in fact, that's why I was there in Malawi, because it was the only place that would give you a passport or excuse me, a visa to South Africa at the time. It was still, uh, the land of, um, what was their program? Um, you know, it was very prejudiced. They, they had this, oh, apartheid. Apartheid. Apartheid yeah. was still going on. Yeah. So it was a real nightmare to get into the yeah. country. So anyways, I got that. And then I looked them up and they had this beautiful uh, place where all the students were staying and it was a house they're renting and someone had just moved out. And I was like, yeah, I need to just. So I rented there yeah. and stayed in the state in a really cool place 
for seven months while I was there. Okay. And I found work there. I actually got a job working, uh, building kitchen cabinets. And after about two weeks, there were these vans that you would pick up to go to these jobs. Yeah. And I remember the boss just saying, look, just take it home. I was like, mm. okay. So I was, took the van home, which was awesome because all my roommates were surfers. I just knew how to body surf. So at five o'clock in the morning before working, before school, we'd take my van. <laughs> it said Blakey and Hope on the side. Oh, good Lord. And we'd go down to the local surf in Durban. And Durban has one of the best surf breaks. And But I was a body surfer, so I had one of those paddles, you know, oh, yeah. and I had the fins. It was great. And they let me, you know, go, and we would, you know, surf and play around for an hour and a half and then clean up and then go to work in school. Yeah. And so I worked there and got had that van there and and it was actually there because it was a uh what do you call it a um Durban Harbor. Yeah. After a few months, I would go down and there were three by five cards there and they would look looking for crew. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out there and I thought I was gonna sail from Africa to Australia until someone told me, no, no, the winds don't go that way. <laughs> you, you, you can go oh, around. Oh, yeah, that's, that would be, yeah, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that to be honest with you, but no, <laughs> all no, right. No well, one, no one does. No one does. No, yeah. I, I, I realize that. I, I just wondered here, um, because communications were as they were back then, yeah. um, not as good as today. Now you're doing all this stuff in Africa, the Middle East, Australia. Did you ever communicate with your parents? Um, once in a while, to let you, yeah, it's Scott here just to let you know I'm still alive and kicking. They must have worried about you. My I parents worried about me and my travels, but yeah, they must have worried about you. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I look back now and I'm kind of shocked. You know, I mean, I, I don't think I, I mean, if I had kids and I and they were gone even a week, I'd be like freaked out, but I don't think they were. I don't think they were the worrying type, but also. I wrote a lot of letters. It was the way I processed what I was doing. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I would write it to, I'm not kidding, 50 people, you know. So I'd write one letter here, then one there, one letter there, one letter there. And yeah. uh, every once in a while, I'd write my parents. And I've got four siblings. So they would hear from me periodically. So okay, I got think it. everyone got enough information to know that I was safe along the way. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, postcards and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but ne- well. never, a, never a phone call. I mean, never one phone call in those three years. I mean, who, who can afford that? No, well, well, in Ottawa, Canada in 1982, and I used to phone my parents up once every six weeks. But that's normal. I said, I'll you know, call you in six weeks' time. Everything's good. Bye. That was yeah. it. Yeah. You can't even understand that today, right? No. That was the way it was, you know. Kids overseas, they'll communicate with you every month and a half. It it was, it was like, it was probably somewhere in the, in, in equivalent of about $15 a minute. Oh yeah. It's brutal. You know, if you're, if you don't have money, you you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it. It's just brutal. But the main thing is Scott, you've got, you got videos, you got pictures, you got memories. Have you documented this stuff, by the way? Have you written a book about it at all? You know, I've thought about it, but you know, it's very interesting when I came back, because I had met so many people doing that type of travel, yeah. I didn't really think about it as something really extraordinary until many years later. Sure. So uh, the thought to write about it, I thought it would be like someone, you know, graduating from college or something. It's like, but it's a big deal. Everyone does it. So, but it's only as I've gotten older that, and then, and then I see what I perceive as the younger generations not taking as many chances I think, you know, people need to know about this stuff. People, it'd be. It'd be uh, oh, exactly. I, my mother said to me, Malcolm, write a book. I said, why? She said, so you can read about yourself later on in life. Just do it for the selfish reasons. You do it for yourself. So you can, once you throw in the towel on travel, you can read about this stuff, what you did in the younger days. If you do it now, it'll all come back to you, get it documented, and you'll be able to read about it later on. And you put it on Amazon, you never know who might be interested in buying buying it. So it's a, it's a, it's a good idea. And, of course, it's a sense of achievement once you've done it also, just to document all the, these travels, as bizarre as they may be, just to uh, – It's an idea. You know, I, every once in a while I think about it. I've actually written a couple of books. People can find me on Amazon, but it was all about natural health. So I, I'm familiar with the, you know, that 
style of communication. And I, I don't know, I find it a brutal process, you know, writing because yeah. I'm not prolific. It's easier today because of obviously the um, Microsoft Word and how you can upload it to Amazon and all that. Uh, just check it out. But, you know, yeah. I'll t- tell you what, Scott, you've done a lot. And it's, it's a very interesting story. We were going to talk about your uh, your company there, but I think we're basically out of town. Synaptics, right? I had a question about that, which we, we yeah. just to leave the, leave the travel stuff around. I have a discussion about this. And are you a vegan, by the way, now? I'm not. I, You're not I'm a vegan. Because yeah. you, you've got this thing with synaptics, uh, scientific. You've created these, um, I don't know if they're drinks or what, sort of nutritional food, plant-based foods that help people rather than take drugs, you know, to make Correct. themselves feel better. And uh, just tell us briefly about that, um, you know, before we before we yeah, go. Yeah, the the name of the company and the website is called synapticscientific.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I that also happened in those three years was exposure to uh, natural medicine, natural wellness, you know, philosophy, and I got very intrigued by it because I immediately saw results myself. By and a lot of it was through changing of my diet. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back to the states, that was my thing. I thought, okay, the next phase is I I want to go to a school and study the connection, find a school that ha- that mm-hmm. understands the connection between diet and disease and diet and reversing that disease. And I did, I went to uh, the Cushy Institute in Boston, 1984, 85, a couple of years after I got back, probably a year and a half after I got back. Yeah. And, and that was really the start. I, you know, you're with 80 other people who are doing it and everyone's getting these extraordinary reversals of their symptoms simply by changing their nutrition. And I was all over that. I thought this is fascinating. So uh, when I got out, I got approached by a supplement company, a superfood company, yeah. and I joined them and, you know, I started touring and talking about that. And then, you know, with that combination of superfoods that, you know, help you clear up your skin and help you uh, clear up problems that are going on in your body yeah. and then nutrition, I wrote a couple of books on the, the, what I had learned, because I felt like that was something I felt like no one's doing this right. They, they, they think it's too hard. And I, so I taught this 28 day cleansing yeah. program that would guarantee pretty much people being able to see before and after and recognizing, wow, a lot of these things that I'm experiencing in my body are in fact from what I have been consuming. And that if you can l- l- eat less of those and eat a cleaner diet, a more plant-based diet. So that's how I got all started. Yeah. And then, during that time, during the writing of the books, I got exposed to cognitive enhancing plants. Now, as soon as I say that, it, it, people oftentimes think of like, I don't know, LSD or something. But no, these are actual plants that have been known by many of the other cultures, especially yeah. Eastern Indian, Ayurvedic, yeah. or the Asian medical Chinese. Yeah. Man, they really work. So I actually started a cognitive enhancing drink company called brain tonic and we ended up doing really well we were we sold like two and a half three million cans every year to every whole foods across the country all that Mm. and eventually the competition kind of caught up and stuff so what i and then i discovered a couple years ago a a new technology that they were using in india that vastly increases potency of these plants and so that's what i have is i actually have a product that we created during the pandemic (laughs) called cognition yeah i've uh, got a bottle of that on my screen here over here and i I look at the uh, uh the ingredients of it and a lot of it is stuff i've never heard of but I understand the theory of this and i thought maybe i should try some of that myself because it does interest me it's funny because recently probably about six months ago Myself and wife went to a place called Salt Key in the Caribbean. Salt Key is part of the Turks and Caicos Islands. Oh yeah, population of one hundred people, no cases of COVID, no no active police force. The, the people there, the average age is probably just over seventy. And the gentleman that met us at the airport was ninety-one, fit as a fiddle. Whoa, wow! And I thought, what is it? But, and yeah. I, I, I asked them about that. They eat what, what they call ground food or, or plant-based food. 
And I thought, there's got to be something in this. And that's where the sort of penny dropped. And I thought, there's got to be something more into this. I haven't had a chance to look at it deeply there, but I'm looking at your website here, uh, synapticscientific.com, and it's sort of, um, maybe I should look at this a bit more, you know? Yeah. In fact, in fact, Kat, I'm going to put one in the mail to you. I mean, it'll get there tomorrow, given how close we live. I didn't know we live so close together. <laughs> I'm going I'm to drop one in the mail and you try it. Yeah. What's fascinating about it is that it, number one, it lasts for like two months. You, even if you take really? it every day, it lasts for like two months because you only need a couple and it's in a pump. It's uh-huh. quite, it's quite bitter. We've done a, we've done as much as we can to make it. It's a liquid formula. And yeah. I mean, to show you, I don't have a spoon. You just squeeze a couple of drops on your tongue yeah. and that's it. Yeah. You just, it's just watch. I mean, people can see it. I've got a, yeah. an, I've got a coffee cup here, but watch yeah. it. You just hey, hang on. This is a brand new bottle. So there you go. It's like okay. That. Yeah. Yeah. So you put maybe four or four pumps, eight pumps and and you and some people tell me, what do you mean, Scott? It's bitter. I love the flavor. I find it bitter. So yeah. I mix it with orange juice or something. Oh, like okay. That. You can add water or something anything. else. Yeah. Anything. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. yeah. I'll take you up on that invitation there. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if s- someone out there would like to know more about you, how can they find you? Go to Synaptic Scientific and they, they can just say, you know, uh, contact us. And I mean, they could ask me questions about what we talked about, about travel, anything, Malcolm. I'd be happy to answer any questions. You yeah. know, I'm obviously busy with the, with the company and stuff, but the fact that, you know, I'm on here to encourage people to get out there. And yeah. obviously, if they're interested in that, tell them, in fact, here, I'll give them a, a 10% off coupon. Uh, we set one up yesterday. It's first 10. So it's F. I R S T and then the number 10. 10. Okay. And that'll, that'll give them 10% off of what the, what okay. the product costs. There you go. It's, it's worth, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you've been selling it uh, all over. So uh, all over. Yeah, we get, we get orders for Europe, uh, Asia, all over. All, all over. right. Well, that, that's cool. I'm, I'm up to try anything. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So people know how to, to, uh, to reach you and they can ask you about anything, but if there's anybody listening here that's uh, sort of young in age in their twenties, you know, and they're thinking about trying to do something different. Life is short, precious, and fragile. We've all learned that over the last three years. Yep. If anyone's got some ambition in their heads, so that get out of town, go and do something like you've done. It doesn't have to be hitchhiking, but Go and discover other lands and learn more about how the rest of the world works. It's very educational. Certainly makes you have a a huge respect for how people live in other parts of our our great planet and so many beautiful sights out there to see. So uh, it's all a good thing. Travel is great. And that, that phrase of all the books in the world, the best stories are told between the pages of a passport. And it's, it's it's very true. And that, that's that Mark Twain quote. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but, um, you probably know it, but it's all good. Um, anything else to say, uh, Scott, before we bail out of here? No, just get out there and you'll be amazed to, to give people an idea of, to have that experiences that we've been talking about. Yeah. My wife's youngest daughter, uh, uh, Samantha just, uh, researched in her last year of college, this. Uh, some kind of a resort or something like that down in Central America where you can go and work for a month and then they'll pay you some money and then they allow you to stay in the country. Anyways, it's a work play situation and people from all over the world go there to help with the resort, but also on weekends, they go travel and do things. The images, and of course, now it's all Hi, mom. Here's today. How yeah, are you? Yeah, waiting? Yeah, no. But the, the pictures and the stories and the people they meet and the group shots and then on the beach on the weekend and stuff, I think, oh, my gosh, it's alive and well. You, and, and it's easier to find than ever. So to anyone listening who realizes that they want to expand their mind about the, their sense of what humanity is about, do that. Find a place, go and work anywhere, work, play anything, go travel someplace close to the ground where people from all over the world, all walks of life, all religions, all, you know, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, all of that, you're all working together. You will meet friends 
that they will be your lifelong friends. I communicate daily, weekly, monthly with friends I met during that trip in Africa, in Australia, in in South Africa, in France, lifelong friends. And they have widened my perception of reality and what humanity is up to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very well said. Actually, look out. Uh, last week, I spoke to a uh, week before a um, young lady by name of Kara Toltzman, who runs an organization called stateofunity.org. And it's all about that people coming together from all areas of the, the planet. And I'll, uh, I'll send you details of that. Great lady. And state, she's, state, she's, what's the website again? S- state of Unity. Love it. Dot Love org. Check it out. And uh, check her. She, she's also climbed Kilimanjaro as well. But, uh, but uh, well said, Scott. Um, anyway, we'll leave you leave you with this. And uh, thanks for coming on to the Travel Addict uh, show. You are a travel addict, of course, like me. And uh, we still got a few years left of travel in front of us, and we'll do what we can while we can. All right. Yeah, Malcolm. Thank you so much for having me on. I really love what you're doing here. All right, man. Take care. All the best. See ya. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks. Talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.